Y'all ready to stand for the wonderful reading of the word of the Lord? I butchered it up that time. I, I tried. I tried last time. I got it really good. But so our pastor is out on vacation. Uh, if you are new here, uh, they took a, a vacation where they were able to play uh, this last week. If you are on social media at all, you will see our pastor's nice moves. And then, um, and then uh, this week, uh, uh, they'll be kind of retreating um, and praying and asking the Lord for just refreshing and vision. And so let's make sure to keep them in prayer today. And um, we're going to start reading in the Word in Second Chronicles 7 and 14. We're going to be working from uh, two passages of Scripture. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Second Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse number 1, says this, As God's partner, we beg you, Paul is saying this to the church, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Then he says this. We live in such a way, talking about believers, we live in such a way that nobody stumbles because of us. And no one will find fault in our ministry. In everything that we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten. We have been put in prison. We face angry mobs. We work to exhaustion, endure sleepless nights, and have gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by who? The Holy Spirit within us. And by our sincere love, we faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapon of righteousness in the right hand for attacking and in the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us. Whether they slander us or praise us, we are honest. But they call us imposters. God, we thank you for your incredible, incredible word. God, the Bible says that your word is for challenging us. It's for encouraging us. It's for giving us hope. It's for giving us correction. It's for rebuking us when we're going the wrong way. I pray today that your word of God would do all of those things for every person, including myself, that is in this building today. We love you so much. We ask that you would lead our hearts. We ask that you would lead your church, God, and we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, would you say a big amen? amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, um, I'm going to try not to get too excited, although um, I'm going to get excited. i got to tell you, God over the last several years has been... Um, Bringing this awareness to me, and here's the awareness, and I'm sure many of you have had this awareness, is that you and I, we are the church. That's what the Bible says. The church is not this building. It's not all the other buildings across America. The church is living because Christ lives in us when we accept him in our hearts. And you and I, we're the church. So what does that mean? As Jesus is the hope of the world, and he's in us, we are the hope of the world because of Christ in us. 
There is no plan B. You and I are the plan. Now, I know that's a lot of pressure for you and I. But when we know what Christ can do in and through us, it's not much pressure at all because it doesn't have a lot to do with you and I. It has a lot to do with who is living inside of us. Amen? So here's what I want to say is that with the decline of biblical values in our country, this is nothing new when we look throughout history. Those of you who have been around for a long time, this is nothing new for you. This is something that's been happening all over the world, not just the United States. It happens. At the same time, I thank God that we live in this country called America. I thank God that we are blessed to be here. I thank God that we have the freedom of speech. We don't understand what that means as the words come out of my mouth because we have never lived in a country where there's no freedom of speech. I thank God for the freedom of religion. I can't help to think that if you and I were born in another place, in another country, that we might not even know about this person called Jesus. We might not have the hope in our heart. So with all the wonder and all the consideration of where our country is going and where our nation is going, I am mostly confident with all of my heart because of what the Word says There's one great thing that you and I can all do, no matter where our world goes, is to be biblically saved. It's to be right with Jesus. I love when people come to me and say, did you hear this on the radio? Did you hear about this? Did you hear what Iraq's doing? Did you hear what's going on over in Israel? Did you hear about New New Zealand and the new laws? Oh my gosh, it's crazy. I just, just, you know what the greatest thing we could do, my friend? be right with Jesus and preach the word with all of our heart. And that's it. That's done. That's a done deal. Sealed deal. That's all we got to do. So today we are going to talk about the church. Somebody say, we are the church. We're going to say that a lot today because as I was writing this message out, it was just fun to say it. And it was fun to shout it. And it was fun to say it with boldness and just say it right. Somebody say, we are the church. There's some things that the church does and must do because Christ lives in us, because we are the hope of the world. Um, If you guys have been, any of you have been in the Wednesday night uh, class called The God I Never Knew, um, and maybe you have heard me say this before, but to lay a slight foundation for We Are the Church, this message today, I want to help us all to understand that God has always communicated to mankind primarily throughout all of history through who? People. That's just how he does it. He communicates through people. Now, obviously, in the garden, he walked and talked beside Eve, right? So he communicated beside, hand in hand with mankind. But as soon as they stepped out of the garden and they entered into this crazy world and sin entered the world, God began to speak to a man to his people. That's just what he did. We, these people in the Old Testament are oftentimes called prophets, and God spoke to these people. And that was his primary way of communicating to mankind in the Old Testament when you look at it. He spoke to a man, and that man spoke to people on behalf of God. And then Jesus came into the earth, and all of a sudden, we stopped seeing these prophets being declared in the Bible because God didn't need to talk to a man anymore because God didn't talk to people through other people He talked face-to-face with people through his son, Jesus Christ. 
he's the greatest prophet that ever walked on this earth. So why in the world would there be a need for prophets during the time of Jesus? Because Jesus was fully God. He is God. He was just a part of God. It was the function of God. It was how God decided to communicate to humanity while Jesus was on this earth. Now, here's the other cool thing. The other cool thing is when Jesus went to heaven, he told the world and his disciples specifically, he said, hey guys, I don't want you to worry. I'm going to send somebody to you and it's going to be better off for you that I go to heaven because this person that I'm going to send, he's awesome. He's powerful. He's the greatest helper. He's the greatest comforter that humanity will ever, ever, ever come in contact with. By the way, people, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that's who the comforter is. When Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, it was like sending God into humanity because the Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the who? The Holy Spirit. And in church today, everybody gets scared when we talk about this thing called the Holy Spirit because I think the Holy Spirit has been misrepresented to so many people and can be so misunderstood. But when I read my Bible, it is so clear to me that the primary way that God is communicating to to the church today is through himself, the Holy Spirit, who's alive inside of us. We don't see, we're not in the age of these prophets anymore where there's this one man that God talks to and has to communicate to everybody because people are not right with God. Because when Jesus came to the cross and he died, he took our place and made us right with God. And that's what allows God to live inside of us. And now he speaks directly to you and I. It's a beautiful thing. Somebody say, we are the church. Hey. We are the church. We are God's plan to show his love, his marvelous power, his acts, his kindness, this message of hope. We are the conduit that he wants to display himself to the world. That's, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty amazing when you really get a grips on that. When you realize that he himself, he did that. He did that. That was his job in the garden. That was his job to the prophets And then that job became the son's job. And then the Holy Spirit came inside of us, and it's our job. What a a hefty responsibility we have. What a hefty responsibility we have. Somebody say, we are the church. church. I'm so glad he chose you and I to share the message to the world. You know why? Because it shows the world that God can do amazing things and really messed up people. I mean, can you guys remember how messed up you were and how messed up you are? And just in case you ever forget that, just go talk to your mama or just go talk to your spouse. They will let you know how messed up you are. We <laughs> you need a little dose of truth in our life every once in a while. I can't help but wonder if we are possibly the last generation that will ever live on this earth. I know it's like a big statement, but I can't help but wonder, are we possibly the last generation that will ever live? Is it possible that God chose you and that God chose you to be in this last generation and that God chose me to be in this last generation to get his word out to humanity before this thing closed up? I felt like God was showing me that this week as I was writing this message out and it just, it just fell so heavy on my heart because I, I, I thought to myself, wow, God, I could have been born in any generation. I could have been born in the 50s. I could have been born back in the Bible times. But no, God is very specific and very calculated with everything he does. I I was born in 1975. 1975. And I was born for such a time as this. And you were born for such a time as this. Somebody say, we are the church. 
We're going to look at God's word today, and we're going to notice five things that the church does. Today is a little bit of a declaration to our neighborhoods, to the church worldwide, to the kingdom of God across the world, to our city, to the state of Texas, to our nation. Today is a little bit of a word to the world that says, we are the church, and here's what we do as the church. Second Chronicles, in your notes it says first, but it's actually Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Number one in your notes. We are the church, and the church much, must pray. Amen. Church, we have got to pray. There's one thing that we can do that trumps anything and everything, period, and that is through prayer. Here's why. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13, that it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That is why we dedicate a part of our service every single week to praying for the needs of people. Because we could sit around and worry. We could sit around and ask the doctors, although God heals people through doctors at times. We could sit around and get on, get on uh, the internet and search all day long for, for what to do and how to do it and, 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 and uh, uh, natural ways to overcome things. Or we can pray. Prayer is simply communication to God. That's it. That's it. You, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to pray. You could just talk to God the same way that I'm talking to you this morning. One of our greatest assets as the church is prayer. Here's what that means. Before you walked into the building today, if you're new or you're new around here, this church has been praying for you. Before you, before you walk through the challenge that you are going to walk through next week and next month and next year, the church has been praying for you. And because the church prays for you, that activates God's power and his strength. And people begin to walk through things with strength and confidence and no fear. Because the church prayed for you, because prayer is the most powerful thing that the church could do, you were compelled to come to this place this morning because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit draws all men unto me. That means the only reason why you're here is because the Holy Spirit lived in somebody that told you, hey, come to my church. That's why you're here today. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is encouraging the believers in the church to pray. We're going to read some of these scriptures. Paul is reminding them, hey guys, this is one of the greatest things that you can do. This is the greatest way to fight back against every problem, every trouble, is to pray. Verse number 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you would take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Somebody say our struggle. Whose struggle? Look, so that means your struggle. That means your mama's struggle. That means your daddy's struggle. That means your grandparents' struggle. That means the struggle of divorce. That means the struggle of sickness. That means the struggle of your wayward son, your wayward grandchildren, your wayward spouse. Our struggle, everyone's struggle, everyone's fight is what? Is it against flesh and blood? No, it's not against flesh and blood. Who is it against? It's against rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Wow. 
What does that mean? That means you can stop blaming your boss. You can stop blaming your spouse. You can stop blaming your coworkers. We can stop blaming our neighbors. We can stop blaming our neighbor's neighbors and our brother-in-law and our sister-in-law and all these other people that we think are causing problems in our life and stop trying to fix the problem relationship to relationship and start fixing the problem by praying. Verse number 13 He tells us, so our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So because it's not, here's what Paul says you and I should do. Therefore, put on the full arm of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, taking up the shield of faith which extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and taking up the sword of the spirit. Then... What does it say? Verse number 18. And pray. After you have done everything you know to do and everything you can, prepare yourself spiritually and pray. And how do we pray? Pray in the Spirit. Write this, uh, this scripture reference down, 1 Corinthians 14. The Bible goes through in great detail of what it means to pray in the Spirit. Paul simply says that when I pray in a tongue, my spirit is praying. When I pray in a tongue, my spirit is praying. This is the gift of tongues, of praying in the spirit. He says, I'm not talking to man when I pray in this tongue. I'm literally talking to God. It's communicating to God spirit to spirit. It's taking past, climbing over your mind, climbing over the way you see things. Because the Bible says that God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So a way to access God and begin to pray the way God would want us to pray is by praying in the spirit. Because we go past the way we think. How many, how many of you, the way that you think has got you in a lot of trouble? How many think it would be a good idea for you and I to begin to pray in the spirit. We are the church and we must pray because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is spiritual. I want you to notice our battle is always. Our battle is spiritual and our battle is always. Verse number 18, pray in the spirit on what? On all occasions, pray in the spirit. What does that mean? When you get up in the morning and you take a look at your schedule for the week, God, I pray over my schedule. I pray over my month. I pray over these activities. I pray over my family. I pray over this meeting. I pray over that meeting. I pray over that strategic time that I'm having as I'm thinking about my business and I'm thinking about my future. I pray. I cover it. I put it in the spirit because I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself. Why do I put all those things and submit all those things to God? Because the Bible says I should and because we are the church and the church what? praise. We pray. The church is alive and well. And I believe that ministers and pastors and people and teachers and people of God should begin to challenge people, challenge one another to come back to prayer. Because if we want to see our neighborhoods change and our nation change and our world change, it's going to happen because we We need to pray first, not last. Prayer needs to be our first response, not our last resort. I'm not talking about more prayer meetings in church, although we can always have more. But on Wednesday nights during the month of July right now at 6 o'clock, we're having prayer for our nation. Why? (laughs) We just talked about it. But what I'm talking about is prayer between you and God. Because who's the church? You're the church. And when you pray, things happen. 
I'm talking about more face-to-face time with Jesus between you and him. Here's how I start off every prayer time, just personally. I start off every prayer time by praying in the Spirit. Why? Because Paul encouraged us to do it. The greatest apostle that ever walked this earth, the guy who has written most of the New Testament, said, I pray in the Spirit more than everybody. Why? We just laid it out in Ephesians because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual struggle. I ask God to intervene in in everything that I'm doing for that day, everything that I'm doing for that week, and I put my life in the Spirit before I walk into my life for the day. This allows me to confidently walk through my days. The Bible literally says when we pray in the Spirit that we're built up. How many of you could use a little building up? How many of you think the church can use a little building up right now? The title of this message is We Are the Church. Somebody say with strength and boldness and power, we are the church. There's five things that a church does. A church should pray. When we pray, our kids come home. Laws are overturned. Addictions are broken. And no matter how crazy our world gets, and no matter what freedoms are stripped away from you, and we can't even begin to imagine that, but people in many other countries know exactly what I'm talking about today. When everything is stripped away from you, here's what nobody can take from you, is your prayer. The church can pray no matter what, no matter how crazy this world gets. So don't come to me with no doom and gloom, because I know doom and gloom is coming. Jesus is going to come back and fix it all. But what we can do is be saved, biblically saved, by the blood of Jesus, and we can pray. Number two, we must repent. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 17, the last part, we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek us, pray, face, and turn from our wicked ways. When we, the people of God, repent, God will forgive Amen. our sins and he will heal our what? Our land. The church is always going to be full of needy people. We, we're very needy people. The church is always going to be filled of imperfect people. Imperfect people make mistakes. But here's the challenge from the word of the Lord today, is to repent. In your notes, ask God to forgive us as a church. I'm not talking about just you, but I'm just saying, as a church, we've got to repent and ask God to constantly forgive us for misrepresenting him. So many people are confused about who Jesus is and what the church is about because people have misrepresented God. I believe that if the church worldwide, worldwide, would repent and seek God's face and ask him to forgive us, we would see revival throughout our nation and our country and our world like we have never experienced when the church repents. We were all lost, we were all without Jesus, and we found him. We all had to repent, every single one of us. Here's an action step for you and I. Here's the action. If you have misrepresented Christ in any way, if we have misrepresented his love, I'm going to say this, 
his tolerant love, his never-ending love, no matter how messed up people are. Not his tolerance of sin, his tolerant love. He's going to love anybody. And his tolerant grace, he will forgive anybody who calls upon him. If we have misrepresented that, we have to take responsibility as a church and we got to repent. It's time for the church to repent. Not only do we need to ask God to forgive us, but we need to ask others to forgive us. We need to ask other people, people who are non-believers, that if we have ever offended you, if we have ever hurt you, the message to our neighborhoods, the message to our, our city, the message to our state, the message to the world is, I am sorry for misrepresenting Christ to you. I'm not perfect, but every day I'm doing my best to be more like him. Please forgive me for misrepresenting Christ to you. Think about what happens when somebody comes to you with a genuine heart of repentance and they say, I'm sorry. What happens to you? Most of you, when you sense this genuine sense of forgiveness and repentance in someone's heart, when you see that it's not phony, you see that it's real, you accept that. Your walls come down. Your heart opens and you let them in for relationship and restoration happens. Amen. When the church begins to forgive, when you hear somebody say, oh, I ain't going to church because this blah, 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 or I don't know about those Christians because they blah, 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 you just say, I'm so sorry that people have misrepresented Jesus to you because the Jesus I know would never treat you that way. But I want to apologize and let you know that the church is full of imperfect people. The church is full of people who are messed up. And the point is that we all need Jesus. But I am so sorry from the depths of my heart because I want you to experience this love and forgiveness and this grace that I have experienced and this hope. It is the greatest thing that I've ever known. And I want you to have that. Please forgive us. And I believe when the church begins to do that, and we begin to repent and turn from our wicked ways, that our world is going to be able to see the power and the love of God like they have never seen before. Can somebody say, we are the church? We are the church, church, and the church must pray. We must repent. And number three, we must prove our witness. (laughs) Here is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we all struggle. This is why we have to do last point. This is why we have to repent because we got to prove our witness. This is the second scripture in our scripture text, Second uh, uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 6. I think in your notes it might say first. I'm not sure, but it is Second Corinthians chapter 6. As you're looking for the scripture, Paul is speaking to a group of believers here referred to as Gentiles. Uh, Gentile is somebody who is simply not a Jew. Uh, the, the Jews were God's chosen people, and everybody who did not choose God grew up in all of these other nations, and these people were all called Gentiles. That means they had no history of, of Christianity. They have no history of God. They didn't understand about the Ten Commandments. They just lived their own life, and they lived their own way. And what happened was is this group of people who had no Christian heritage whatsoever, or no heritage in Christ, heard the message of Jesus and turned to him. This city called Corinth is a a very uh, affluent city. 
This was a very desirable place. There was a lot of people of influence there. There was a lot of wealth there. Uh, It was a desirable location. It was a melting pot of cultures, religion, and races. It would be kind of a lot like the DFW. More and more as time goes by, we just become a melting pot. Or maybe like Southern California. You go there and there's just so many different religions, so many different races. It's a melting pot. You got the coast. You got the mountains. You got major businesses, major corporations. It could be possible that... The city of Corinth was a lot like that. These people had mer- uh, heard and received the message of Jesus, but they were struggling with many sins because these people added Jesus into their life without kicking other things out of their life. They just tried to mix Jesus in with their cultures and their current religions, and they really struggled to represent Christ. And Paul came to them. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what's going on in America? We... It's not that people hate the Bible. They just, just want to take little pieces of it and put it in their culture and put it into what works for them. By the way, I've been tempted to do the same thing, and so have you. That's why we're all here today. That's why we need Jesus. Amen. Here's what Paul says. He says, hey, guys, listen up. I beg you not to accept this incredible gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Today's the day of salvation. Get right and get ready now. I beg you, don't come to church and hear this message and accept this message and go back home and just mix it into your lifestyle. But he says, I beg you to keep this message the main thing. I beg you to kick everything out in your life that is contrary to the word. And I beg you, prove your witness. Show the world. Show people that what I say is true. Show people that I'm their hope. Show people that I'm your strength. Show people that I'm your healer. By the way that you walk, prove your witness. Verse number three. Here's what he says. We live in such a way that nobody will stumble because of us. Oh, man, that is just painful. Isn't that painful? No one will find fault with our ministry. That is painful. Verse number four, everything we do, we show that we are true ministers. We patiently endure trouble. How do we endure trouble? How do we endure hardships and calamities of every kind? Patiently. And then Paul, like, he just trumps everybody because he's like, yo, okay, you lost your job and your cabinet is full of food and you got a quarter tank of gas left in your second car. He says, I've been beaten, I've been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. And in all that, I patiently endure. We've got to prove our witness by our walk. Listen, the way you and I walk through our troubles is the way we show the world that his hope is real. The way we walk through our troubles is the way we show the world that our hope is real. I, I, I wonder and I possibly believe that if the way that we walk through our trials couldn't be our greatest witness to the people around us. I wonder that if we stay full of hope, strength, and boldness when we walk through a trial and people see us, I wonder if our kids might come to us one day, our wayward kids, and they might say, Mom, Daddy, I knew you walked through the hardest time of your life. And it wasn't all the preaching in church that showed me that God was real. It was that God displayed his power in you 
and I saw his strength in you, and I saw that you didn't give up. I saw that you keep trying to love my daddy. I saw that you keep trying to love my mommy. I saw that you keep praying for hope when you were sick. I saw that when you lost your daddy and you didn't understand it, that you just held on to Jesus, and you didn't give up hope. Thank you so much, mom and daddy, for that. Because of that, I know that God is real. The church, we are the church. We must prove our witness by our walk. We must prove our witness by our love for people. Somebody say, we are the church. The church has got to pray. We've got to repent. We've got to prove our witness. And number four, we've got to preach. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 7 says, we faithfully preach the truth. God's power is at work in us. God's power is at work in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is the way that God communicates himself to mankind. That's how he shows his glory. That's how the word gets out. People don't hear unless we say. The Bible says the church must preach. Depending on where you live in the world today, and most of you live here in America, that window could possibly be closing on us. Right now, while we have the opportunity in this country, we must preach while we have the freedom of speech. We must preach while we have the freedom of religion. We must preach while we have a chance, because we live in a day where possibly in our generation, we may possibly see it, that we would lose that right and that opportunity. Number five, we must provide restoration, my final point. The Bible says in Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and do what? Heal their land. Somebody say, heal their land. Listen, if we believe God's word for what it is, and if it's possible that we're in the last generation that may ever hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, if that is possibly true, then we've got to be a church who is ready to provide restoration for those who are coming in who are sick and hurting and need hope and need biblical discipleship and need to be baptized and need to experience the love of Christ. We must provide restoration. We work really hard at doing that here. Let me give you a little bit of vision. If God begins to open the floodgates and we become the church that prays and we begin to see people repent and come back to Christ, we need to be a church who is ready. We need to be a church who is ready to restore. And that's what we do. We need to provide a path for healing for people. We said earlier when when people receive forgiveness and they repent, it opens up the door for relationship. So as the door for relationship is opened back up with the church, restoration is the first step of healing. We provide a path for people to begin. What is that path called? It's called starting point. Why do we talk about starting point every other month and we put it in the bulletin and we, 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 we put it in the hands of people and we send out postcards and we send out emails because we want to say to the world, hey, those of you who are lost, sick, hurting and dying and you are new to the church, this is where your life begins right here. This is the path of restoration. This is where you can learn what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. You can hear about the love of Christ. You can hear about the values of God and what he believes in and how we do these things. A path to begin is getting into a care ministry because we care for people. Christ cared for people. That is just simply what the church 
does. That is our path for people to begin this life of restoration. We have a path for people to belong. We want to invite people to join, to get into these care ministries, to join a ministry team, to join a small family unit of people who serves in the kids department, who serves in the youth department, who serves out in the parking lot. You'll begin to build relationships with people like you have never experienced when you serve the kingdom of God alongside one another. Not only do we provide a path for people to begin here, but belong here, but to become who God has called them to be. That's why we have cultivation classes. That's why we have incredible classes for world rangers and missionettes and the little kids and the little boys and the youth department and the bridge and Caleb's. That's why we go through all this effort to provide all of these ways of discipleship for people. Why? Because the church must provide restoration to a lost, a sick, a hurting, and a dying world. That's why we're moving to two services so we can begin to open up the floodgates here at the Grace Place so that we can have room to restore people. We need more care ministers than ever before. We need more teachers than ever before. I want to encourage and challenge the church of God to not come on Sundays and sit on the sidelines but become the church. That we would serve together. That when we come to church, we come to church with a purpose. We come to church with a mission. Because when we sit out and you join the greeting team or the parking team, you're out there and you see a family who doesn't know Jesus. There it is. There's our opportunity as a church to restore. Oh, come on in, sir. Come on, man. Can I open that door for you? Let me show you the love of Jesus. Let me walk you in here. Here's a cup of coffee. Here's a donut, by the way. Come on over here. Here's where the kids check in. I want to introduce you to Pastor Pam. She's going to take good care of your kids. And, and by the way, just don't worry about anything. We want you to come in and enjoy the word of God and let God change you. We're the church. That's what the church does. It's not about joining the greeter team. It's not about joining the parking team. It's about being the church so we could provide restoration for people. What does this mean for you and I? Listen, I, I, I'm not trying to be hard on anybody. I don't want anyone to feel bad. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm just telling you what the, church, what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are the church, that we don't come to spectate on Sunday. Although if you're new here and you're new to church, we want you to come and spectate. We want you to come to see if we're the real deal. We want you to see if we have the ability to prove our witness to you. And then at your time, when, it, when God has set the perfect time, you can give your heart to Jesus. You can become a part of this family and begin to join this thing called the Great Commission and share the love of Christ with the world. But for the rest of you who are here today and you've been coming here for a long time, I want to challenge you to become the church. I want to challenge you to begin to pray. I want to challenge you to repent. I want to challenge you to prove your witness Preach the word of God and be ready to come on Sundays and bring restoration to people. On July the 29th, on Wednesday night, we are having a volunteer training night. The Bible says that ministers, it is our job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, not to do the work of the ministry, but to equip the saints. There's powerful giftings. There's powerful uh, talents sitting right here in this auditorium that God wants to use to bring restoration to our community. I want to ask you a simple question. We're going to end this service um, slightly different. If you are in this room today and you say, Sean, I'm new here. Maybe I've been coming a while. 
in this Jesus that you keep talking about, this church that you keep talking about. I want to experience that love because I haven't yet. I want to experience this life of power. I want to experience this life of hope, this life of restoration. And I've come today because I need restoration. I need the church to restore me. I need God to do something in my life. And I'm tired of doing it on my own. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? If that is you in this room and you say, Sean, I need restoration. I need to come back to Jesus and I need to give my heart to God. Can I tell you what, sir or ma'am, this is what the church is all about. This is why we are here. We are here to serve you, to serve our neighborhoods, to serve our city. If that is you today, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come up here all by yourself. I just want you to slip up your hand and say, Sean, I need restoration right now. Anywhere in this room, slip up your hand. I need restoration. I need Jesus in my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? I'm in here. Thank you. I need restoration. I need Jesus in my life. Slip it up and slip it down. I just want to see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you so much in the back. Anybody else? I need restoration. Listen, the church is for people who are lost and hurting. Every single one of us were lost and hurting at one point and one time. Anybody else? I need restoration. That is why we're here today. Thank you so much in the back. Another person. Okay, here's what else I want to ask. Church, the rest of you. Church, church. Somebody say, we are the church. If you want to become the church and you want to take on the challenge that God gave us today and you want to join a group of people and collectively and with unity that we all want to agree and say, I will pray, I will prove my witness, I will preach the word of God until I can't preach it anymore and I will stand and I will be a restorer of people. If that is you today, would you stand on your feet? Every single one of you, if you agree to either one of those things, stand on your feet today. Stand on your feet. I want to join this thing. And I understand that some can't stand, and that is okay. If you stood up for either one of those things, I want you to make your way to the front right now. Come on, make your way to the front. We're just going to come to the front. Here's how I think about it. We come up to the front because this is a great place for the family to gather and to be in unity over something. Um, Religion and church, we call it the altar. But... The altar is a little bit like the the dinner table at home. After a long day, somebody cooks a nice meal. You you notice I said somebody. I'm staying out of trouble right now. Somebody cooks a nice hot meal. And no matter how bad our day was, the family comes together around the table. And unity happens. Things that were broken, things that were relationships that were a little funky, hardships that happened throughout the day. We all come together. We eat a meal, we pray, and everyone gets encouraged, and we go out and we live another day. That's what the altar is. I want you to grab hands with somebody next to you, just signifying unity in the body of Christ. And I want us to all pray a prayer together. We're going to pray it out loud. And then when I'm done, we're going to sing a song and we are going to declare. I I just want you to imagine that there are loudspeakers all around the parking lot aiming out into Grand Prairie, aiming out into the city of Arlington and Mansfield and the DFW and Dallas and Kennedale and whatever city you live in. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but that city too. All right. Let's pray together. Dear God, I pray that you come into our hearts. Forgive our church. Forgive me. Live in me. I thank you for what your son did on the cross to forgive my sins. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Live in me actively. I am the church. Help me to pray. We repent. Help me to prove your love. 
and help me to restore your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we sing these last songs together as a family? Come on, give me a little hand.